Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your host, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, is it sinful for a man to be tempted to sodomize another man? Uh, now, a little bit of uh, pulling back of the curtain for you guys before we jump into the discussion on this episode. You guys are hearing this like a normal episode that would come out on a Monday like we've been doing for a while now, um, but the reality is we are actually recording this just a few days uh, after the la after last week's video that you guys heard, um, and, and so... We're kind of we're kind of cranking them out right now, just a few days removed from the last one, um, so we we spent a lot of today and and yesterday trying to brainstorm a topic that we thought would be helpful, edifying for you guys as always, um, and and so I think it, I just think it's a little it's amusing to me to think like we're recording this you know just a few days from each other and you guys are hearing it like a week apart basically. But we're the reason we're doing that is just because at our church, um, we've got an event going on on the night that we would normally record. So we're trying to get ahead of things so that there's not like a breakup in uh, episodes uh, for you guys. So, but anyways, like I said, the topic question for today is, is it sinful for a man to be tempted to sodomize another man. And and the reason we're talking about this is because whether you realize it or not, there's actually a movement uh, within the church where um, uh, a lot of people, I, what, what, what did you say before we started this episode? It's called the same-sex attraction movement, right, Tim? Yeah, the same-sex attraction, uh, same-sex attracted, you know, Christian movement, or it's known as the, you know, celibate gay Christian movement. The celibate, too. the celibate gay Christian yeah. movement, ba yeah. and basically, if I understand you correctly, they like to pile, pile up uh, oxymorons together. You know, so. <laughs> okay. ba basically, they, um, they, they think the act of of sodomy is wrong. Right. I mean, on paper, you know. On, Right, right. I, I'm sure there's contradictions, you know. Uh, I'm well, sure there's plenty of contradictions up in there it. when it gets practical. But yeah, I mean, what funny thing about it is, yeah. So they're, you know, on paper they say 
they've said for the past few years that they think that sodomy is sinful, but then, you know, that, that's like a, it, it's a, it's a position they haven't really been able to maintain. So a lot of the guys that have been involved in that kind of thing have come out and proud, you know, since the beginning of that movement. And so I think it's just a way of softening, you know, the consciences of Christians and preparing for the next step, uh, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, you, you might call them the celibate gay Christian movement, the same sex attracted Christian movement, or even the, like, the, 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 these are the kind of individuals who are advocating for um, lifelong committed, you know, celibate, you know, uh, friendships between men, <laughs> the covenantal <laughs> friendships and that kind of, that kind of thing. And so, but yeah, that's just, you know, the, on paper, they supposedly had believed that sodomy itself is wrong, but, but they're typically not very firm on that on that belief. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So the idea is like essentially, you know, you can't help being tempted to want to sodomize someone, you know, so long as you don't act on it. Essentially, that's the point. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, like it's not a sin to be tempted, you know, with homosexual or you know desires towards sodomy or. You know, same-sex romantic relationships. It's just a sin to act on it, so to speak. So, okay, but. okay. Um, so, so that's kind of like why we're talking about this because there is this movement. Uh, I, I even hesitate to say within the church because I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to commute communicate anything. That would you could say, say like, a, move, a movement among individuals who claim to be Christians, who claim to be, who, who are being who, broadly accepted uh, as actually Christians by dupes in the evangelical world, or something who, like that. People who are Christians with the <laughs> right. with the air quotes, the very right. deliberate air quotes around it, right? Who, um, who are being acknowledged as such by you know naive and gullible, uh, you know people who should know better, right? But essentially, you know, the the crux of the issue for them is they're they're saying, hey, look, it's one thing to perform the act. Right. Right. But then but then just to, you know, have the desire just to be tempted to do it and not actually following through. That is that's not sinful. Right. Yep. That's that's what's essentially being argued. Okay. well, our title question for today is, is it sinful for a man to be tempted to sodomize another man. So so that's their take, Tim, that that basically, you know, no, the answer is no. What what is your take on that question? Yeah. It's um it's a ridiculous question that, you know, think about. So the way you worded it is it temp- you know, as sinful to be tempted to be sodomize uh, to want to sodomize another man like that's um trying to you know, and it, bring to light some, you know, shameful things that are being smuggled under the door. And, and, and so, you know, it's one of those things where I think, you know, Christians largely because individuals are, are the world itself is, is, is trying to cram down our throat. You know, this idea that, uh, you know, gays are essentially normal people, just like everyone else, despite all the gay pride parades and the, you, you know, the, yeah, the evidence of our eyes to the contrary. You mean that, you're not holding parades about no. your your pride and being a heterosexual man? Yeah, I'm not. You know, doing the B, BDS <laughs> dressing in the you know BDSM you know stuff and doing and, story doing story reading time at the library. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, asking kids to you know 
put money in my underwear, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but despite all that, individuals are trying to normalize like the idea that, um, you know, sodomites are just the same as everyone else. And, and a lot of, you know, you know, Christians believe, like basically believe it, you know, and that's the play that progressive Christians are running on us too. So when you word it like that, like you're bringing attention to the fact that like that, what, what we're actually talking about, we're talking about like anal sex. That's what we're talking about. We're not, mm-hmm. we're talking about something that's like gross and disgusting. Uh, that's, you know, you're trying to wrap in the language of euphemisms to hide. But then you know, if you try to answer that question, it, it is, um, Part of what's difficult is that, you know, as the Bible speaks about the nature of temptation, there are different types of temptation. So, you know, part of me wants to say, no, it's not a sin to, you know, surprisingly, no, it may not be a sin to be tempted towards, uh, to sodomize another man. But then, you know, in the obvious sense of the expression, yeah, it absolutely obviously is. And anyone who thinks it's not is crazy. So what, what I mean is that there are different types of temptations in the Bible part of what's happening with the, you know, the SSA movement in general and, you know, those who are being influenced by that. So you can broaden out this discussion just to a discussion about temptation in general. Uh, And that's part of what we'll do today is just try to talk about, you know, what is temptation in general, but like there are different types of temptation and these, every type of temptation is being um, essentially put in the same category and, you know, individuals are refusing to make just basic biblical distinctions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So meaning, you know, if, if a, and you've had like, um, you've had sodomites who have essentially tried to proposition you before. Oh um, yeah. It was really uncomfortable. I hated it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you told me this awkward story of, uh, you know, a man rubbing his finger on your ear, uh, just to gross everyone out. Right. Yeah, uh, but that was essentially tantamount to an offer, and um, like the issue is, were you being tempted in, in by that offer? Well, no, and yes, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, like you might not want to say yes in any sense because it's so gross to imagine and think about. Because but, people's minds immediately jump to like a yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were tempted, huh? <laughs> You know, no, but like the issue is like, you know, there are, there's in the Bible, there's external temptations and there's internal term temptations. And, and so you have to talk about what kind of temptation you're talking about. So like there are like, you know, if someone were, and I've, you know, been propositioned by sodomites in my life over the course, you know, course of the years I've been alive and the, you know, they're presenting me with an offer. So temptation can mean nothing more than an offer that's being presented to you. And they're presenting you an offer that you detest and can't stand. And like the entirety of your being in terms of mentally, emotionally, physically, like literally recoils at the thought of that offer. Right. Mm-hmm. So like there are like, um, like that's a temptation towards sin, meaning it's an offer towards sin, but then it's not an internal. It's not a temptation that's arising from your own heart. It's a. It's just a purely external temptation, right? Right. And so, but that, like, so there's a category for that. There's a variety of things that uh, individuals could, you know, present me with eternal, uh, external offers towards, which hopefully I, not eternal. <laughs> yeah, not eternal. Yeah, which I would recoil at, right? Um, yeah. So you know, hey, you want to go rob a bank with me? It's like, no, are you dumb? 
you know, like, <laughs> like, you, I mean, what was I tempted? Yes, I was tempted and I was given an offer, but like, it's not something that I really have any interest in doing whatsoever. So, you know, as you think about the categories of temptation, there's like external temptation and then there's internal temptation. And that's part of what James is talking about when James says that, you know, each, each uh, person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. So there's a kind of temptation that comes from without, meaning an offer presented towards evil. And then there's a type of temptation that's coming from within, meaning like uh, my own sinful flesh, my own sinful heart is being pulled uh, towards that offer. So it's not just like a offer that I'm recoiling, like the entirety of my being is recoiling at. It's an offer that my heart wants and I'm struggling to resist, right? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it a sin? Like if you're trying to say, is it a sin to be tempted to, to sodomize another man? If, if you're talking about an external offer, no. If you're talking about an internal pull that's coming from a sinful heart, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously that would be sinful for me to be pulled towards sin. So, you know, depends on what we're saying. But then what the SSA movement essentially is doing is they are refusing to make that basic distinction. And then they're treating all sin, they're treating all temptation as if it's just some purely neutral thing, meaning it's just as if it were just some kind of external offer or something like that. They're not even working within those categories. They're just treating it all as if it's just completely, like it's not a sin to be tempted, you know, so long as you don't act on it kind of thing. And, and that just is a grossly naive view of how sin and temptation actually works. So, you know, and I don't even know how you get there in your mind where, you, where that kind of thing makes sense to you. It's almost as if you've totally surrendered all personal responsibility for everything that happens in your brain at that point. Mm-hmm. Like as if, as if it, you know, the Bible had nothing to say about like sinful desires or lust or anything else. It's just like, how do you get there to where you've now taken, like you've erased the concept of lust. You've erased the concept of like internal sinful desires. And now it's just all about like good behavior and bad behavior. And it's like, I don't get that. Right. Right. So, so, yeah. um, so do we see like, so you're saying there attempt temptation is simply like an offer. An offer. To, yep. uh, it's an offer, and it, in this in this context, it would be an offer to sin, right? And um, and then you're saying there's essentially two uh, there's two different uh, categories of temptation. The first one being like an external temptation, and that would that would be something like yeah, when you know when I'm um, trying to like share the gospel with a guy, and he's like. You know, and I'm, I'm like telling him to like repent of his, uh, you know, like his uh, being attracted to other men, and then he makes a move on me during right. that. That would be like an external offer, right? And the offer is the offer or the invitation is coming from the outside purely, mm-hmm. right? And there's nothing in you that there's not an inward pull towards it. There's right. no like. Oh, I'd kind of like to see where that goes, kind of right. thing. Or it's just like no, like the entirety of your being is like no, right? And you can imagine any number of scenarios, just like that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like just to give you a silly example, I'm I'm not 
like a big fan of heights. Uh, when me and my brother went to the Grand Canyon to visit, you know, I stood behind him on the rail <laughs> and looked the other way and kind of held onto his shirt, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like heights, you know. But if someone were to say, "Hey, you know, you want to, uh, you know, go skydiving or something like that," that would be an that would be an offer, right? Mm-hmm. That I would record. I would no. You no, would I'm reject good. immediately. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing in me that would ever want to do that, like at all, ever. You know, like nothing, like zero, like no pull whatsoever. Go have fun. You know, uh, I'm good, man. You know, so, but that, so an external temptation is, is like something that's pure, like it can be both at the same time though. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meaning yeah. you can have an external and an internal like right. pull. So the, there's an external offer and an internal, like your heart is is desiring in, it inviting you to do the same thing right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you're conflicted so you have like part of you wants to do it part of you doesn't there's there's a pull coming from inside or an invitation from the inside and an invitation from the outside so the the, the one from the outside is not like it's neither here nor there if that makes sense right now i think like from a logical perspective that makes a lot of sense. You know, like you have this, the two categories of external and then internal temptation, external being, you know, um, being like neutral, right. Uh, in terms of like your own guilt, but then, uh, internal being the one that has like a moral, a negative moral consequence, meaning you're, it's a sin. Um, now, so like I said, that makes sense from like a logical perspective. Do we see these two categories in scriptures and the scriptures? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are, I, what are some I, well, examples? Let me, let me clarify like first. Um, okay. So I think the external one is largely neutral, but I wouldn't want to say it's always, always neutral. Always. Meaning, meaning, meaning like um, there are times where you're, presented with offers that are only coming because you put yourself in a horrible situation. Um, so, so like the, you know, the foolish man that, um, in the Proverbs, I think Solomon, you know, sees going down to where he knows like the promiscuous women will be basically. Yeah. And if you're doing that, then like the issue is, you know, it's, it's probably a little more complicated than like you, I think, there's something in you that's wanting to put yourself in a place where you're going to, you might get that external offer, right? Yeah. And then you can, like, there is kind of a plausible deniability in the sense of you can say, well, I didn't know that that would happen, even though you did, and you're just trying to lie about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in that kind of moment, you might have an internal pull to put yourself in a situation where you get an internal and external offer that you know on paper you're saying you don't want but then you kind of wanted to you did there was part of you that wanted to get the offer does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah even if you're nervous to act on it kind of thing so but but largely you know for the most part external is external and that makes sense uh versus internal but then you're asking like well that's logically that makes sense is that biblically true do we do we see both categories biblically yeah yeah sure i mean i i like the only way you come up with those kind of categories is you're trying to make sense of a variety of different kinds of passages in the way that uh, they actually work. So, 
you know, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways like us, except without sin. And if you think about the nature of Jesus's temptations from the devil, like you have to ask, well, like Jesus was tempted with respect to bodily weakness, like meaning that he is an individual who has, like he's put on, he's, uh, you know, that he's God who's put on human flesh and dwelt among us. And, you know, the God man did suffer hunger. He did suffer from sickness. You know, he did suffer from, you know, being cold and, you know, uh, hot and tired, tired and all that. So he, with respect to bodily weakness, he was tested in all the ways that were tested. And then when you look at his, like, temptation by the devil, the devil is certainly presenting offers to, like the Bible says he, he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? Right. And so Jesus is certainly like being, he's in a situation where the devil is presenting him with offers to sin, okay? And mm-hmm. so the word in that passage is clearly being used in, at the, you know, it could mean more, but at the very least it, like the primary sense of it is the external offer, Right. Uh, and Proverbs says, like, my son, if sinners entice you, right, do not consent. So, like, this idea of being enticed or tempted in the Bible, it there are plenty of examples that are talking about an external offer. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, you don't have to, like, now, now um, like, that's just, like, those are scenarios where, the word itself is being used as an offer from the outside. Okay. Okay. All right. But then when you get to James, James says, let no one, you know, when he is being tempted, say he's being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he's lured essentially and enticed by his own desires. And so uh, that kind of temptation is like the only way to describe that is an internal temptation. It's a temptation that comes from the desires, right? Right. You can't, yeah, you can't say like if, if you use temptation, if you read temptation in that passage the same way as the other one, then essentially the Bible is contradicting itself at that point, right? Because you have one that's saying he was tempted in every way and Jesus is God uh, and then in the other passage, it's saying God is never tempted, right? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think, you know, essentially the contradiction would involve, like, if you think that Jesus, um, like, so it's like a contradiction if you har- you have to harmonize a variety of passages, meaning, mm-hmm. so, like, meaning, like, okay, when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, like, that on the surface it reads external temptation right yeah and then like when you read the narrative itself you know satan says like you know all the nations of the earth i'll give to you if you bow down and worship me and you know jesus's response is like um you know essentially to say you know um uh like i'm i'm trying to think through which response he had to which temptation, you know, but, uh, you know, it's written, you should not put the Lord God your test. He says that when uh, he, th- he asked him to throw him off the temple or throw himself off the temple because the, you know, angels will bear you up. And, uh, and then, you know, when like he tempts him with the food, you know, he says, man shall not be- live by bread alone. But I can't remember the other one off the top of my head, but 
essentially Jesus, he doesn't sound like he's being pulled from the inside in those, right? Mm -hmm. But if temptation always meant that, then you could read it in, so to speak, to say, well, I guess he was tempted, like, because that's what tempted means. But then you do, you know, where, where that would be a contradiction would be, like, the Bible tells us in Colossians 3, 5, to put to death what is earthly in you, and what's earthly in you is, you know, sexual immorality, and then evil desire, even, okay? So, like, like there are desires that are evil. The Bible tells us to hate the evil and love the good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there are passages which say that desires can be sinful, and so if Jesus, if, if his temptation inherently meant he desired all the evil, then he's he's violating his own character at that point. And so at that point, it becomes a contradiction. But then there's other passages too, you know, like my son of sinners entice you do not consent. Like that's like, in like there's nothing intrinsic to being enticed that is like meet like an, an internal pull from the inside. You can just have individuals trying to pressure you to do something. And you can either want to do it and resist or you not want to do it and tell them to get, you know, go away kind of thing. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that makes, that makes sense. Um, I guess the question then becomes, well, uh, thinking about that passage in James specifically, you know, I, I know I've talked to a lot of people who aren't even necessarily, you know, they, they think that, temptation and internal temptation is not a sin um only only the action is a sin or or i i think i might have met some people too who who they have a variation of that where they essentially say um you know if you if you dwell on it for too long (laughs) it becomes a sin whatever that means i've never no one's ever been able to give me like the (laughs) You know, what is it like five minutes or is it like, is it yeah. like per thought? You know, yeah, like it, this <laughs> isn't, this isn't a discussion that's unique to the SSA movement. It's also kind of a, a there, there's a lot of platitudes that are thrown out related to just what you might describe as heterosexual lust in order to help people feel better about right. Like the presence of remnant lust in their own heart. And part of it is like an effort to redefine like the nature of lust itself in order right. to you know not make people feel so bad about themselves but yeah i understand what you're going with that yeah but. and and oftentimes they so go like to that So like if you picture the woman naked in your brain you know and you think about it for a few minutes you know just you know if 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 at that point you say you know uh, get that thought out of my brain you did a okay job right that right yeah like like if it's a you know like you have the brief fleeting moment of like the thought that you know you shouldn't have even yeah. though even though you're telling yourself that it's okay to have that thought <laughs> you know it's okay to have that thought you, you know it, you yeah. shouldn't have you sh- you know you shouldn't have it um and so like you try and get it away really quick well then they they would just say well no that that wasn't sinful because i got it away you know if i wanted it i wouldn't have gotten it away right, right. um and often, I mean, I've had that, I've had that kind of conversation so many times with a lot of people. And, and what is always brought up is that passage in James, right? Yeah. Um, uh, because it seems like if you, if you're just reading it at surface, you know, if you're just like read it at a glance, it does seem like James has different, uh, categories 
for desire, um, temptation, and sin. You get what I'm saying? It well, I know what you're saying, but you it, don't think I said it carefully enough? No, you did. It's just it. Um, I I disagree with the the premise, but okay. But, <laughs> okay. but I understand what you like. What you're saying is the text says like then desire when it conceives it gives birth to sin and right. sin when it's fully formed uh brings forth death right right and and they and they so they when i talk to these people they're telling me hey the, see look there's different categories well it's a different right? step process yeah mm-hmm. is the way they're saying it but uh, yeah the only thing i'm objecting to is i don't think that the natural reading of the text is what they're saying okay like what like the natural reading of the text is different than what they're saying. They just miss, like, it's just a pervasive confusion about the nature of language at that point. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, meaning, um, like, the straightforward reading of the passage is not saying, okay, there's like a neutral desire that is going to grow and grow and grow at some point and give birth to sin. Right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're saying. They're saying like you can't help the desire. The desire is neutral. It's like, but then once it grows to a certain point, it gives birth to sin. Like that's not actually what it's saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's just the common misunderstanding of what's being said. So, like if you look at the passage, like it's saying desire when it's conceived gives mm-hmm. birth to sin. So notice the timetable. Like, so think about the timetable there. Like when the desire is conceived, it says it gives birth to sin, meaning like all that's collapsed, collapsed into one event. D- do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Probably not. Me- meaning um, like the way that you read that passage is basically once the desire is conceived, once it's it giving enters birth to into sin. your mind, <laughs> right? it's giving birth to sin, right? Yeah. So you have to ask, when is it conceived? When is the desire conceived, right? Okay. So you think about the normal birth metaphor. The normal birth metaphor is like, you know, there's a, well, <laughs> uh, we're Go doing on. the birds and the bees lesson here, you know, uh, yeah, like the, <laughs> Should have put a TVMA rating on this yeah. episode. Right. Think about the normal, uh, you, you know, when a man's sperm and a woman's egg, you know, come together and are fertilized, that's what you call conception, right? Right. All right so the normal process is like after conception, you have like this um, uh, fertilized egg essentially implanting in a uterus. And then over the course of nine months, it grows and grows and grows and gives birth to sin, right? Or gives birth to a, a baby. baby. Yeah, a baby. <laughs> A sinful baby, a sinful baby. All right, good save, good save. Yep. (laughs) The issue is that like that process is a long process, but then what this passage is actually saying is it's saying when the desire is conceived, you know, when when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, meaning it's collapsing the whole birthing process into like the The moment. A single event. A single event. And that's the most straightforward way to actually read it. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like that's that's not, you know, trying to save a position. That's just what it's saying. Okay. Okay. When yeah, the desire yeah. is conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
And then when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death, right? Right. So it's taking the growth part and not putting it like pre-birth. It's putting it post-birth. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So desire conceives immediately. Brings it. it uh, when desire is conceived, it brings forth sin, right? Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's taking the birth metaphor and modifying it in that way but like if you leave that you know, and I, leave- I guess extra i don't mean to cut you off but i want to say this before you move on i guess the extra um proof that that's the way to read it is when you think about like so think about adam and eve and their sin right it's not uh-huh. like it's not like they sin and then you know the the first time they face death is when their lives end literally right Right, the first time they face death is immediately afterwards when when god curses them right right which is what which is why god said the day you eat of that tree uh the or the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you will surely die that so he's saying that day right? right so uh that's like a so james is confirming that aspect of it like the moment you sin you face death right and and you know that's not to get into like original sin and whatnot uh but you know you you see you see a consistency there so if that's the way that you read one half of the statement then you should probably i mean you should probably read the other half of the statement that way as well right Go, go when i'm talking about james you know the yeah, one half I mean, of the statement is death immediately comes when you sin, even though he's like you're saying he's using like a lifelong example as a metaphor, but he's compressing it down into essentially one single event, right? Yeah. So, like when the desire conceives, it it immediately it you know brings forth sin, and sin when it's fully, fully grown, it brings forth death, and so you know essentially you know, as you're. Um, Let's see. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, I think you have that that metaphor. That's the birthing metaphor. That's just being altered in terms of like at the moment of conception, you're giving the moment of the conception of desire, giving birth to you're giving birth at the moment of conception to sin, right? And then, like the more wait, so you're saying men can give birth. In a metaphorical sense, uh, in a metaphor. Uh, now it's the sin, you know, the sin can give birth, not the men, but uh, the sin and the men can give birth. Right, uh, right. But like, even if you don't, you know, even if you're confused there, like I can, I can propose an alternative interpretation that doesn't make sense to me, but it's the interpretation that other people are using. Okay. And, and that like, let's go with it for a second. And I still, it doesn't change anything. So Meaning, like, let's say that, you know, when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, somehow means you have a desire for a period of time that is growing and growing and growing. I don't know how you get this grammatically, but then all of a sudden, at some point, when the desire gets really big, then it gives birth to sin, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's missing the change of metaphor. Let's just go with that. Well, then all you would have to do at that point is just say, well, they're talking about external sin at that point. 
Okay. Like yeah. the passage is only is limiting itself to external sin. Right, because like the issue is you have so many other passages which describe internal sin. And this wouldn't be a passage that like covetousness is an evil desire, right? Mhm. Lust is an evil desire. Like you're told not to, you know, like there's you read through the law, the 10 commandments there's you know, you're not supposed to desire your neighbor's property. You're not supposed to, you know, desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. Like that desire itself as covetousness is wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and so, you know, as you read through the Bible, you know, we're told to put to death what's earthly in us. And that includes evil desires. Okay. Like, you know, we're supposed to love the good and hate the evil. The good man out of the good treasure of the good heart brings forth good. The evil man out of the evil treasure of an evil heart brings forth evil. So that like we're, we're talking about like like evil desires. Like the Bible over and over again has a category for evil desires. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to read James in such a way as to remove this category of evil desires and then present and pretend that sin only happens once it's acted upon. Like that's just like I don't know like the, Jesus says if you look at a woman with lust you've committed adultery in your heart. I don't know how you get from that to this category that like it's okay to want to do bad things so long as you don't externally act on it. It's like there's two like there's two uh dimensions to every sin, right? So like there's an internal desire and there's an external desire mm-hmm. to sin. And you can think through different passages that are going to talk about these two different aspects. And like sometimes like like the issue is sometimes like like there's not an like sometimes it's like you have uh, different types of sin. So you know when Uzzah steadied the ark, for instance, you probably wouldn't describe that as an internal evil desire, if you know what I mean. Okay. Like meaning, like I don't think Uzzah had any idea what the law said that he wasn't supposed to touch the ark. Uh huh. Right. Right. So when the cart starts to move, right, he reaches over to steady the ark. And as far as like as far as the desire component of that act, I don't have anything to fault that desire. Does that make sense? Right. Like if anything, he's trying to, in his mind, protect the That would be a good ark. desire, right? Right, right. Like to protect God and to protect his glory and to protect the ark and to keep it from, you know, being defiled by falling on the ground. Like, that's a fine thing, but then the issue is the external act itself was forbidden, right? hmm And so, like, you can come up with a scenario like that where you have an external action with a good desire that still means us as dead, right? Yeah. And then in the opposite, you can think of, like, a bad desire that's restrained and doesn't lead to the bad behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of times where you can like grit your teeth and do the right thing even though you don't want to. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, like what's happened is you have a lot of people who come along and then they're looking at that transaction where you're gritting your teeth and doing the right thing and they're saying, "Well, that's a victory, right?" And mm-hmm. and the issue is, yes, is is it a victory? Yes, but it's not a total victory. Right. It's better than it's better than not doing it at all. Right. But, but it's not right. like a, you know, it's not, that's not what Jesus did. Right, right. So, like, the, the issue is like that. Yes, I would rather, you know, um, 
like if an individual is tempted to, you know, have gay sex with a man, I would rather any day of the week that he say no to that. Right. Even though everything in him is drawn towards that perverted act. Like, but then the issue is like the Bible isn't just stopping. Like the Bible doesn't just stop at the behavior and it's only behavior that's bad. Like the Bible also addresses what's going on in the heart and there's more, it's more complicated than that. And so that's why you have like commands against covetousness. That's why you have commands against um, you, you know, lust. Like that's why you have like, like there are evil desires in our heart. Uh, and a lot of the sins that are in the Bible are not just external actions. Like we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, you know, like you can grumble outwardly or you can grumble inwardly. And like you, like it doesn't, I don't understand the kind of Christianity where someone can essentially just assault the character of God in their mind and think of and dwell upon all sorts of evil things and think, oh, well, that's okay as long as I don't act on it, right? Like mm-hmm. that isn't biblical and like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So even the point, the broader point being, even if you, you know, you go with what I think is just a not an obvious reading of James, um, then like there still is this category for evil desire you still have to think through right and at that at the very least in that at that moment james would simply be just talking about like um you know desire when it's conceiving meaning uh, using conceive in a non-conventional way to describe the whole birthing process right like at that point it's giving birth to sin it must just be talking about like the external sin component not the internal at that point does that make sense mhm yeah and I think it, you know, it pretty much ignores like Jesus's teachings, for example, where he's calling out, um, you know, the, I think, I think it's the Pharisees, you know, basically, basically like your whitewashed tombs and we're yeah, full of dead man's bones. Right. And, and he's accusing them of, um, for a pretext, you make long prayers and all yeah, that. Yeah. Like all, all of these things. And, uh, you know, even going so far as to say, like, just, you, you know, looking at a woman, I mean, right. um, um, like, uh, desire, you know, desiring, like right. even just being angry and not acting on it. Right. Like you've already committed murder. Well, that's it. That's the thing that's so strange about this discussion is that you would think that the individuals have, like, you, you would think, man, they must not have ever read the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Because that yeah, seems and, to be like normally the whole that's a point pretty of popular passage. <laughs> yeah, I mean that seems to be the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that like you think that you're okay just because you didn't murder or just because you didn't commit adultery. But if you're angry or if you're full of lust, it like you're still condemned to be for the law of God. And Paul makes that very point in terms of just his own experience that like he had kept the external commands. But then the law, like the command to not covet is the one that undid him because that dealt with the desires, right? Mm-hmm. And so then this is what's really strange about it. It's just like, I just, I don't understand how you know, the kind of individuals who are making this point have essentially, it just feels like they've never read the Sermon on the Mount before. Like, I don't, I don't care how you go there with it. That makes yeah, sense. I, I, what is the, I mean, what's the explanation from them on those passages? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> do they have one? I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard, I haven't heard an explanation like in terms of a direct, um, um, like the the best I've heard is just 
that they're trying to distance like this desire. They're trying to basically uh, point out the fact that, you know, the, um, so part of our title question is we're reducing what you might describe as a homosexual orientation, you know, that unfortunate phrase uh, to a desire to, you know, physically sodomize another man. And the way they try to get out of that is to say it's more complicated than that. Right. So Mm -hmm. like that's an oversimplification of what, what they're talking about essentially meaning like, you know, like, um, like there's a little bit more to it than raw sexual desire. Now, in the case of men, like you want to pretend like, you know, just a quick response and then, you know, uh, more explanation but you know <laughs> the issue is that like m- like men who are tempted towards sodomy like that's a very different kind of thing than women who are tempted towards lesbianism or whatever you want to call that um, like in that like it is like it's not like for the women it's more about like a rejection of men and it's more about the relationship components of things and with men like it's just obvious like obviously much more about like the sex than it is anything else, which is why like the average, you know, homosexual or whatever has, you know, hundreds of partners, so to speak. And so that is a predominant driving factor that people don't want to acknowledge that are actually happening. Like that you know, and that's why, you know, HIV and, you know, monkeypox now <laughs> <laughs> is running through that populations th- those kind of populations the way that they do is because of how like like how promiscuous two men can be if you don't have any mitigating breaks on that with a woman, so to speak. But then what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, hey, it's more complicated than that, meaning there's like, um, you know, there's um, like, like there are other desires going on too. And it's not just for the intercourse, so to speak. It's for a relationship. It's, you know, like we're all made to be created in, desire companionship and desire relationships and desire you know love and desire all these kind of things and so they're reading like the men in a very feminine way does that make sense Mm -hmm. and then they're pretending like all those even those desires for companionship like they're not viewing them as lust raw does that make sense Mm -hmm. um like so it's not necessarily all about the anal sex it's more about the desire uh, you know like this broken individual who is desiring companionship that he can never have because, you know, that's kind of how he's made. And, you know, and then, you know, pointing to just the experience of an individual, like in that, you know, like a, you know, heterosexual person, you know, so to speak, doesn't choose to be attracted to women. It just is what it is, you know. And so then they're trying to, what they're doing is they're drawing parallels from that to like a, you know, person can't help that they're attracted to members of the same sex. They find them desirable and they just don't need to dwell on it. And so what you're having is then that same kind of, you know, counsel, bad counsel to men, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can't help it if you want to sleep with every woman you see, you know, just don't do it, you know, kind of thing. You know, or the moment you start wanting to sleep with every woman you see, then you need to, you know, get rid of those thoughts. And so they're taking that and then carrying it over into this kind of category uh, as well. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that does bring up a pretty um, 
it brings up something that that I kind of I want to be able to talk about for a second, and that's this idea that really when you I mean, when you go down this, or was there more that you wanted to say before I kind of changed? No, 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 go, go for it. Okay. Um, it seems like if you go down this path where you say, hey, look, you know, uh, yes, the action itself is sinful, right? There's no denying, but just the desire is not sinful. That's not bad. Just don't act on it. Right. Um, it seems like you're kind of like you're just setting people up to fail at that point. Right. Right. I mean, you're, you're losing a whole, um, you know, essentially a line of defense and that line being like the, you know, the, um, filter for like (laughs) the way you think, do you get, do you get what I'm, I'm saying here? Yeah, so like essentially, you know, if you just try to change the metaphor for a minute, it kind of can bring up how inconsistent this line of thinking actually is. So, you know, if I were just to like have thoughts that come into my mind about wanting to stab you through the eyeball with a knife or something like that, right? That was very specific. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's say I did, you know. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that I confess that to you, you know, I just keep on having these, this strong recurring desire to pull my knife out and stab you in the eye, you know, but I, I don't worry. I restrain myself, you know, Great. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, you know, but if I, every time I came around you, I'm just like, man, I just, I just want to stab you so bad, you know, I, I just keep on picturing your eyeball, like, you know, just on the end of my knife, you know, oh, and just gosh. like with the cord still attached and then all the blood. And I just, man, I just have to like, man, I can't, um, but don't worry. You know, I, I don't think I'll do it. You know, <laughs> I don't think I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, I think at a certain point you'd probably be like, all right, uh, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, like, all right, man. Cool. But I, I'm not coming over to your house. <laughs> all right. But then, you know, like just to say something, even like just to bring it up a level. Okay. If that wasn't enough, you know, like just, you know, I mean, imagine, you know, you have a daughter, imagine someone saying, Hey, I just, you know, I just keep on having all these like sexual thoughts about your daughter. Uh huh. Like, and, you know, I don't, I'm not going to act on them, but I just have all these sexual thoughts about her, you know, and I just, like you probably would be, you're probably ticked off at me even saying it now, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you see my eye twitching <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> I, you know, I bring up a hypothetical here, you know, but, uh, but then like, I, I, like the issue though is like instantaneously that comparison brings the whole subject into moral clarity, meaning like you don't like, like those desires, they're not neutral, right? Right. They're not neutral. You know, if someone were to just like say, hey, you know, I just, you know, your wife is so attractive. I just want to whatever, have sex with her. That dude wouldn't be in your life anymore. Right. 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 Like He, he wouldn't. Like, and so like the, 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 like the issue, though, is that like it's like everyone knows that it just depends on like, like so <laughs> it, just to make it even more to the point. I mean, just, you know, let's say you have a white supremacist who had like, you know, mental fantasies about harming black people in their mind. Right. Mm -hmm. 
All the SSA people would have instant moral clarity about that subject. Right. Like it would be like, like you're not like, not only is it wrong for you to talk about that, like it's wrong for me to talk about it as a hypothetical in their minds. Mm -hmm. Right. It's wrong to think about it. It's wrong to think about it. Right. And they want to, you know, and that's part of like, if I can't remember if it was brave new world or 1984 to where, you know, they're, um, essentially having facial scanners that are reading like a person's body language to try to figure out if they had wrong think even, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like you, like we, you, there's all sorts of wrong think out there that people would accuse you of and wouldn't even allow you to have wrong think, let alone wrong action. Right. Like we have like whole categories of like, like you have like the, the, of like things you're not even allowed to think in our society. Okay. And so, like, we don't believe that the thoughts are off limits. And then to your point, though, like, to your point, like, the issue is, like, as a man, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Mm -hmm. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the good man out of a good treasure of a good heart brings forth good. And the evil man out of evil treasure of evil heart brings forth evil. And what that means is, like, those thoughts are not off limits and not only are they not off limits like they grow and they grow so they start out as sin like these evil thoughts but then the more that you feed them the more that they like it's very logical that one day it will actually transition into you doing the thing that you keep on thinking about doing right right and but then if you de- your point is if you declare the thought off limits then what you're doing is you're taking away the person's ability to fight that desire. Like, and so you, what you don't need to be doing is fighting just the behavior. You need to be fighting the desire. That's the point. Like, and it's the desire, like it starts with a desire. So all the behavior starts with the desire. And if you feed the desires, they get bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So like, um, like the issue is like, you, you know, think about a murder or something like that. That doesn't come from nowhere. And that's essentially what the terminal amount is telling us that like that, you know, if you're angry with your brother, like that's essentially heart murder. And what that means is not that you put people to death for anger, for anger. What that means is that like if you cultivate that anger, it starts out small, right? It starts out yeah. with frustration and irritation and annoyance and being bothered. And like, that's all baby anger. Like I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I'm annoyed. I'm bothered. But then, like, you notice how people who are always talking about how irritated and how bothered they are, notice how they're also the kind of people who are typically tempted with the next step of it, which is the yelling and the screaming and the, you know, and and, and what happens is they'll say, hey, I snapped, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I just snapped and just, you know, I got out of control here. It's like, no, you've been feeding anger in its baby forms. And the more you feed it, one day it transitions into a bigger form, which is the yelling, right? Mm-hmm, right. And then the more that you tra- like you do the yelling stuff, the, then it's going to transition into you're hitting someone, right? Mm-hmm. And then the more that you hit them, then one day you're going to strangle them to death, right? Like that's like that's the way it goes. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it's going to grow. And if you say, hey, you can't fight it at the desire level, then essentially like, well, the issue in then is like pretty soon it's going to turn into yelling because you have no check, right? Right. So where do, where do you want to fight it? Do you want to fight it when it's bigger or smaller? And it seems to me that like what, you know, individuals who are 
you know, struggling with SSA, whatever that means, probably like, basically that means giving into it whenever they have a desire and sanctifying that desire. But if they were actually struggling with it, what they should be doing is every time they feel that pull towards a member of the opposite sex, they should be saying, Lord, you know, forgive me. You mean the same sex? Oh yeah. They should be saying, Lord, you know, forgive me. I'm sinful. Wash me, wash my heart, make right. it clean. You know, I like take away this vile, wicked, you know, affection that's here and cleanse me and make me a new person, make me a new creation. And obviously, you know, you pray that, you know, you pray that once or twice or three times, it's probably not going to instantaneously go, but that's just the battle you fight until it's finally gone, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it goes without saying, but the longer that you, the longer that you feed that, the longer that it it's going to take normally, you know, to um to really like fully get to a place where it's not even a temp an internal temptation anymore right well that's the thing that's the heresy you know in the minds of many people i think rosaria butterfield used to you know describe uh reparative therapy essentially as a heresy a form of prosperity gospel but then i think she recently issued a state saying that uh, a statement saying that that was one of the most ignorant things she's ever said as a christian and i praise the lord that she recognizes that how ignorant that actually is because like the Bible does promise to that God can cleanse us to the uttermost. And mm-hmm. like the issue is like, you, you know, such were some of you, but you were washed and you were cleansed and like, you don't, we don't have to be dominated by bio affections right. and disordered desires. Like or we don't have to be dominated by any sin, you know, like that. Uh, but then I think the more that people make these, like the issue is the more that you take these desires, you make them off limits like you're not being sanctified at that point. And that and the part of the problem is that the church doesn't have a doctrine of sanctification essentially. And so we just don't know what we're doing. Like we do like we are largely engaging in behavior modification, you know, um and a very I think a very stunted view of how, how we should be fighting the Christian life in general. But I mean the Bible tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm-hmm. And surely, you know, that means those evil thoughts towards evil actions, okay? Right, right. Like, so, I mean, if you're to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ, that means if you have a thought that says, man, I would like to do evil things to that man, you know, as a man, that would be a thought you need to take captive. And the way you take captive that thought is to repent of it, you know? And if you don't, if you, if you tell people they don't have to repent of that, that's just who they are. Don't be surprised if they're going to want to have a celibate gay friendship with someone that involves cuddling and, you know, some lifelong commitment to them that short of some sort of sexual union. And then when they do that, don't surprise, don't be surprised when it actually turns sexual It's because they're, you're cutting off their ability to turn from it. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, going even further than that um you know it seems like i mean you know we've been talking about basically when you view when you view uh temptation this way internal temptation when you view evil desires this way you're essentially undermining um the you know the uh, the doctrine of sin that the bible gives us that god's revealed and so not only are you um really 
I mean, re ex like handicapping people massively by uh, in, in their fight against sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only are you doing that, I doesn't it seem like um, you're kind of uh, almost minimizing the um, the need that we have for the gospel in the first place. I mean, Jesus was the one that said, you know, the one who uh, has been forgiven much loves much. So when you're denying that certain sins are actually sins, in a sense, you're saying like, hey, I don't I don't need the gospel that much. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of those uh, things that people do that they they definitely have a stunted view of what sin actually is and so there's different heresies that have happened you know one of those heresies is like the doctrine of christian perfectionism and like you know with the idea that like the only way that an individual could ever come up with the idea that they're sinless is to redefine sin essentially in such a way that like it's only the kind of things that they would never do right and so we all have these temptations essentially to like when you look at the Bible standard, like the issue is the Bible standard is so much, so like it's impossible. You know, it's just so yeah, impossible. Like, like we don't just miss. You know, right. Like miss is like not even a helpful enough word sometimes to explain how far off we are. Right. right? We're so far off, like in terms of like if you understand, like the more you read the Bible, the more you should come away thinking like I am so wicked right like right. i am so now like that's contrary to the self-esteem movement and that's contrary to you know what most popular christian evangelicals out there are trying to do like what they're trying to do is minimize the blow at every point but then as you read the bible you should come away thinking this standard is like like if the lord would count iniquities who could stand it's beyond me like it's just right I can't even go a few minutes without sinning in some way, you know, whether it's a sin of omission or a sin of commission, it's just that bad, you know? And so that, like, that doesn't have to cripple a person that can lead to you glorifying God. But then like the issue, like meaning like you can, you know, his grace is perfect in our weakness and the one who's been forgiven much, loves much, all the things you're saying. But like the more that you like are toying with like, like your, uh, like in the minds of many people, like it really is the case that, you know, you, they define sin by what they think is reasonable for a human being to be able to do, right? Mm -hmm. But then the biblical view of sin is not about like what's reasonable for some kind of human being to do. Like the standard is, it's like, you can't do it, <laughs> okay? But then when you minimize that and you try to redefine it in such a way that it feels reasonable to you, you are minimizing your need for the gospel. You're minimizing your understanding of what grace actually is. And you're minimizing your view of God in terms of his actual holiness. And you, you, so you're doing violence to the Bible in a wide variety of ways. But then just thinking about the biblical prescription. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I think Christopher Hitchens in his debate with Douglas Wilson, you know, essentially talking about how monstrous the God of the Bible is because the God of the Bible can accuse you of thought crime, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's the God of the Bible, you know? Like the God of the Bible is concerned, he's concerned like not only about your behaviors, but all, also about your thoughts and also about your desires. And, all, and not only that, he's concerned about your emotions too. Like it's, none of it's off limits. 
And that's where, you know, w- with most Christians, they basically got the, the external behavior kind of down, you know. But it, I would say that with most of the people who are making that kind of case, the, the behavior is entirely optional too, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like in you know, some of it is like they'll hold on to, but most of it they they really you know, like the kind of individual who's ar- arguing for celibate gay Christian movement is going to be the same kind of individual who thinks it's you know okay to miss church for six months in order to go do whatever you're going to do. You know, like these commands aren't commands because we're under grace as far as that goes, but. Um, yeah, no, yeah. there's there's an attempt to minimize it at every point. Uh, but yeah, that that you know we do have to get back to what is sin and what's you know is it a sin to be tempted and those kind of questions. Right. Yeah. It seems like you know God's standard is so like sky high from our you know from our perspective. It seems like a lot of people just assume that there's there must not even like be one. So let's make up our own standard almost. Right. Right. And so, but then um, the standard becomes whatever that person thinks is reasonable. Right. Right. Um, and, and because God is obviously loving and God obviously wants you to be happy and God, you know, God is obviously there to serve you. And so then, you know, he, he, whatever, whatever it is, it it can't possibly be that he would be unreasonable and ask you to do things that are beyond you, you know, kind of thing. Right. And, you know, um, when when you it seems like you know when you do that you're just like grace just doesn't it's not that it's not that appealing when you think that way right right like versus what we're saying where hey like even your even the things you think even no matter how fleeting they are i mean it could be a millisecond it could i've i've you know like there's been things that have like come up in my mind and and they come up in my mind and i'm like immediately like what in the world is that like no i would never want that right and and it's like even there you know well it's it's even before that too you know so they like in hebrew um you know you you read through the hebrew bible and there's an expression that comes up like it's a euphemism so it's a euphemism for anger so like if you were to read through jonah in hebrew or something like that you know it it there's times where it says, you know, and Jonah's nose became hot or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. His nose became hot. That's a Hebrew idiom, essentially, that is translated, he became angry, right? And so they translate in English, he became angry, but then it's an idiom, like for nose became hot. But then you can imagine like the cartoon bowl or whatever that has the steam coming out of his nose, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but like that's a good word picture if you think about it. But then like there, there's been probably plenty of times in your life where someone said something you didn't like and your body tenses up, right? Like you just imagine your body tensing up. Like they said something you didn't like your body tenses up and maybe you like bite down on your jaw for a second, that kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, but that that's anger, right? And it might not be that you even in that moment had a conscious thought, a, a conscious angry thought, but you did like react, like in terms of your bodily emotion, you're reacting to something like in that, you know, it might be that you, you tense up and then you have to like take a deep breath, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But that itself is coming from a sinful heart and you, like you, what you have to do in that moment is say, Lord, Forgive me for my anger. 
right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, and you may not even have had an angry thought, like, but you did have, like, you're, you, that was anger, you know? And if you're, you can either play the, like, naive route to where you just try to redefine it, and as long as you keep from yelling at someone, you're okay, or, like, if you actually want it all gone, right? If you all, if you want all the, like, the like uh, Bible says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, all, along with all malice. If you want it all gone because the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires, then what you're going to do is like, it, like, it, like any thought, any emotion, any pull, any like any temptation you feel, you're going to be confessing it and asking forgiveness for Take it. it. Yeah, taking it deadly serious. Yeah, you're going to say like, you know, when you feel, you know, like you're, you know, if you're an individual who like you're on the internet and you see something you didn't want to see and your hand stops right mm-hmm. and you're trying to muscle your hand away like, to get it to click away and it gets you're physically you know just like whatever i think in that moment you do have to say lord forgive me you know that's not coming from a pure heart right right <laughs> that's not coming from a pure heart that's coming from a defiled heart and i long for the day when you can make that to where like i don't want that at all Right. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to even want it, you know, like that. Like I want to just laugh at that and chuckle at that and move on, you know, kind of thing. And not just like I you know, so but part of how you do that is you learn to repent of these things, you know, in a more of a comprehensive way. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just you can imagine in your own marriages, your own marriage or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I didn't mean to suggest you're a polygamist, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell him about that Utah thing, uh, but uh, no. I mean, you, you can imagine in your own marriage, like you know, there are times where you know your wife may de- de- does some, you do something your wife doesn't like, your wife does something you don't like, and your response is to give them the cold shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And that needs to go. You know, that needs to go. That may not be any words. That may not even be any thoughts. But it needs to go. And like, you know, that's bitterness, right? So, but I think we just have a stunted understanding of what sin actually is. We've tried to downplay it. And then you, you know, the consequence is you do, you are cutting people off from like their ability to actually turn from these things with a whole heart. Right. Well, I think that's a good place um, for us to wrap up the episode. Tim, is there anything that uh, you want to say in closing? No, I think that's good, man. Okay. Well, hopefully this has been um, a helpful episode for you guys. I think really the main takeaway here, I think at the end of the day is just, you know, we as Christians really have to take our own sin seriously. And the more that we view sin the way God does, which means we don't just look at our actions, we look at our actual desires, we look at uh, the internal temptations uh, that come from our hearts, and view those as things that we need to go take to God and ask for forgiveness. Number one, you know, I think just, just like we were talking about earlier, um, the more I think, uh, you'll see victory in those different areas when you make it a practice to actively repent of even the, the thoughts and the desires. But then number two, I think it just, I mean, it, it really puts into perspective just what exactly God is doing when he's forgiving us 
uh, you know, it, it helps us understand how far uh, short we fall and just how much God is forgiving us, which then, you know, tells us, hey, like this, you know, God loves us this much that he is, he's forgiving all these things. He sent his son to die for all these things. Yes, even the thoughts, even the actions. And so we need to, we need to take this seriously for ourselves and our own sin. And we need to take it seriously, you know, for the people around us that uh, we're witnessing to, that we're sharing the gospel with and, and not be afraid to, uh, just call sin what it is, even if it's not being physically acted upon, um, because hiding that from people is not doing them any favors in terms of their uh, eternal destination. And so hopefully this has been a helpful episode for you guys. It's it's so much fun to be able to sit down and talk about these things and knowing that uh, we're able to um, encourage you guys in this way. And it's encouraging to see all the support we get from you week in and week out. And so we want to thank you for all that. Again, we hope this has helped equip you um, to have these conversations yourself. Uh, And until next time, we look forward to seeing you on the next one. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move. Thank you.